Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's Christians of History episode, we are continuing our, it's not really a series, I don't know how long it's going to be, but our time spent examining major Christians of history, or just Christians of history from our respective traditions. So we're going to hear from Jensen today about another Baptists. So if you want to take it away, we can get started. All righty. Well, as you said, continuing this trajectory of exploring different people from our tradition, I thought it was worth exploring maybe some of the very early figures in Baptist history. And this man, Thomas Helwes, happens to be uh, one of the very earliest of the ver- of the actual formal congregation denomination known as Baptists. So even if there were people with similar affinities and affections and theology before, uh, Helwes and John Smith, as we'll mention briefly, um, were really instrumental in formulating and establishing modern-day Baptist theology and practice, in a sense. So uh, really, not a lot is known about Helwes in his early life. Um, it's... So little is known that I couldn't even get, like, a definitive birth year. Some people said 1550. Some people said 1575. That's a 25-year difference. Uh, But different sites said different things. So somewhere between 1550 and 1575, Helwes was born in Gainsborough. Uh, This is in England. Uh, His father was Edmund. His mother, Margaret. Uh, They were descendants from an old Norman family. Uh, but Helwes's family was actually like on the rise. Stonks were on the rise in uh, in London because Geoffrey Helwes, who was his uncle, was a successful merchant. Uh, he was an elderman. I don't know what that is, but an alderman. Um, he was also a sheriff of London. Uh, and his cousin Gervais was knighted by King James. And if King James sounds familiar, it should because he has a Bible named after him. Uh, so again, his cousin... So Thomas's cousin Gervais was knighted uh, before becoming a lieutenant at the Tower of London. So some pretty significant family members in the history of of London, England. Uh, But Thomas married Joan Ashmore at St. Martin's Church, uh, which is in Bilborough, which I think is present-day Nottingham. And that took place in uh, 1595. They had seven children over the next 12 years. So do the math there. That's that's quite a bit of children in a, in a short span of time. And it was during that time that Helwes's home had become a haven for early Puritan dissenters uh, within the Church of England. And it's even likely that Thomas contributed financially to their mission. So if you remember from a few weeks ago when I talked about um, uh, Benjamin Keach, we talked about uh, nonconformists. We talked about the Church of England, these uh, these different sects within um, Protestantism that were uh, breaking away from the Church of England, wanting more independence in their worship. Um, so there were a number of Puritan dissenters who who needed refuge because there was religious persecution. And something that I always find really fascinating, um, you know, when we think about the people that came over on the Mayflower, when we think about, um, you know, traveling the oceans to come to America for religious freedom, these are the types of people that were like seeking that religious freedom. These Baptists, these uh, Methodists, Mennonites, Puritans, these early um, 
you know, apart from Church of England and apart from Lutheran, um, Protestant denominations. Um, so it's it's interesting, Lucas. Our our traditions have a little bit of beef uh, back in the uh, fifteen and sixteen hundreds. Well, that... yeah, you're you're a bunch of rebels who <laughs> refuse to submit to God's glorious regent, the, the monarchy of England. There you go. So, you know, maybe we wouldn't be as good of friends back then as we are now. Who knows? But it is also interesting how Baptists are Anglican schismatics. Yeah, a lot of them are. So just come home. I mean, bro, you joined the revolution. No, just come home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that on a different episode, perhaps. But uh, so, as I mentioned, at some point, it's hard to pin down dates a lot of the time here, but Thomas Howis developed a very close bond with one of the dissenters named John Smith. Um, he would be the most generic John Smith if he didn't spell it with a Y. Uh, maybe that was common back then, but uh, he and his wife, so Thomas and his wife, became committed members of Smith's separatist congregation in Gainsborough, Lincolnshire. Um, so Thomas and John were really joint founders of this Baptist denomination. Uh, They basically became leaders in this non-conformist, I don't want to say revolution, because it wasn't like an overthrowing. It wasn't even that many people who were a part of this, but this this non-conformist group, these people who were um, wanting to seek religious freedom, uh, freedom to worship as they saw fit. Um, And persecution became so intense that they actually fled from England to Amsterdam uh, where it was a little more lenient, the Dutch were more willing and acceptable, or willing and accepting of um, re- religious practices. Um, so, really, the, at this point, they were already persuaded that the local church in every place, no matter where, whether it was England or Amsterdam, should be self-governing. So, as opposed to being run by the the state, it ought to be self-governing. And as they studied the Bible, they became convinced that baptism should follow, not precede. Uh, a mature declaration of faith in Christ. So obviously, like infant versus believer's baptism. This is like the heart of a lot of their dissension. Um, but they they rejected the validity of infant baptism. Um, and Helwis and Smith actually decided that members of their congregation should be baptized as believers. Um, so maybe this is a little bit of a messy conversation, one that I know that you and I have probably had and will continue to have. But um, what to do about people who were baptized as infants who want to get baptized as adults? Uh, like, what do you do in that in that scenario? Uh, interestingly, John Smith rebaptized himself because there were no like there were <laughs> there there were no clergy, there were no ordained people, so to speak, yet because there wouldn't have been like an established based on you know tradition and ordination and all that like so in order to like get the ball rolling smith baptizes himself and then starts baptizing thomas and and the others um as as baptists basically uh but but interestingly and this is like really fascinating like history is so i find history so fast history so fascinating but in 1610 um smith and helwis actually kind of fell out they had a falling out after smith decided that uh he had been wrong to baptize himself so Smith is like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And he actually applied to go join the Mennonites um, and be rebaptized in the Mennonite tradition. So this dude's at this point has been baptized three times, which maybe is a whole other can of worms. Um, but at this point, Helwis and about 10 others split 
from Smith and his church and returned back to England from Amsterdam. So it was over the next like 12 months or so, the next year or more, uh, that Helwes wrote three really important works. So the first one was an argument for Arminianism, which is, is pretty fascinating, but it was a short and plain proof using the word of God and the works of God, uh, basically saying that God's decree is not the cause of any man's sin or condemnation and that all men are redeemed by Christ. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, also that no infants are condemned. I didn't really know what that meant um, as it pertained to Arminianism, but um, again, if you if you remember to the, not last week, but two weeks ago when I talked about uh, Keech, I mentioned general Baptists and uh, particular Baptists. So Helwis would fall into the general Baptist camp because he was pretty heavily Arminian. Um, so that d just for theological frame of reference. Uh, another work that he wrote was a polemic explaining the differences that he had with Mennonites. So this actually was sort of birthed out of like the experience of Smith leaving this Baptist world. Um, so there's this little, it's, I don't know if it's a treatise or like a small letter, but basically explaining like within Protestantism, how Baptists are unique and different from Mennonites. Uh, and then most importantly, probably he wrote a short declaration on the mystery of iniquity. Uh, it was basically a critique and apocalyptic interpretation of the papacy, as well as criticisms of Brownism and Puritanism. Um, so really, this is probably the first ever English book defending the principle of religious liberty, um, which I think is something that we sometimes take for granted um, because we live in America and we have religious freedom and liberty. Uh, but for Helwes, religious liberty was a right for everyone even for those that he disagreed with, like Catholics and Muslims, or as he calls them, Turks. Um, but this is like really fascinating because if I had to guess, most most modern day Baptists, so most people that are in, you know, whether it's Southern Baptist or um, maybe IFB type Baptists, um, I, I wonder if they would claim religious freedom for all. They definitely claim religious freedom for themselves, you know, wanting to, to be free to worship, to not be constrained by the state. Um, but it often seems like that there's some tension between uh, Christianity, especially Baptist Christianity, and uh, the religion of others. But for Helwes, it was really important that if we're going to have freedom of religion, it must be freedom of religion for all. Uh, it was also during this time that uh, Helwes formulated the earliest Baptist confession of faith. Uh, this confession actually became the 27 Articles in 1611. And if 1611 sounds familiar... I don't know if you guys know your church history. That's when the King James Version was published. Um, and again, King James was the king of England during this time. So in early 1612, this work, this treatise um, of the mystery of iniquity, Helwes was finally able to publish. So it wasn't just a writing that was circulating. It was actually formally published. And he wrote an appeal to King James arguing for liberty of conscience. And he sent him a copy of his book. Which is just like so fascinating. Like this dude who is a dissenter. Um, some people probably know his name. Probably is, you know, he, he fled to Amsterdam. That I mean, persecution was that bad. Uh, but now he's back in England, publishes this book, and is writing to the king. Uh, he says, the king is a mortal man and not God. And therefore, he has no power or over mortal soul uh, or over the mortal soul of his subjects to make laws and ordinances for them and to set spiritual lords over them. Which is a pretty bold statement to to declare that the king has no power um, 
essentially in religious matters. Like the, the, the king is established as a power. He has governmental authority, uh, but he ought not have any say over the matters of, of church and church life. Uh, and how does the king respond? Throws him in jail. Uh, so <laughs> the king had Helwes thrown into Newgate Prison, and that is where he died in 1616. The dude was only like 40-ish, depending on when he was actually born. If it was 17, or if it was 1575, uh, he would have only been just over 40. Um, so, yeah, that, so it, it's, it's super interesting because this is, like I said, very early on in Baptist life. So formulating Baptist doctrines, formulating church and practice, uh, trying to just establish themselves as an independent denomination free from the, the I don't know if you want to use the word tyranny, of the Church of England, but at least from the rule of the Church of England, uh, many people who consider themselves Baptists and followers of Smith and Helwes are the people who went to the New World, so to speak. They're the ones that went to America in search of religious freedom to establish churches and, and colonies, and that's a whole different story. Um, but really, Helwes's plea for separation of church and state and for full religious freedom inspired many people. I mean, at the very least, he inspired a movement that traversed oceans, that went further into other continents, into other countries, um, and really, especially in the United States, this has become like the standard practice that we have a system that is a freedom of religion, a, 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 the liberty to practice whatever you so choose, even if that's practicing a, a you know, a, a, a something that isn't even a religion. If you're if you're an atheist, if you just want to not have a religion, uh, but I don't know. Like I said, Helwes is probably the first person to have written an English book about this, but especially, I, I, I don't know, it's possible that he could be one of the first people um, within the Reformation to be writing these things. So um, I guess really that's that's the life of, of Thomas Helwes. I, I personally don't have a lot of um, recommendations as far as works. I mean, the, the three that I mentioned, you could probably read. Uh, but, you know, when you think of the major figures of the Reformation, when you think of people like um, Luther and Calvin, Zwingli, uh, even Cranmer, and just a lot of the people that we've covered up to this point in our Christians of history, Helwes is tiny. Like when I, when I was trying to do research on him, even when I looked up like the, um, what is it? The, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever, his, his art, his article was like three sentences. So like a lot of the, I had to like dig pretty deep to find stuff about him. Um, so he's not very well known, um, but his impact is maybe even incalculable because of the, again, the, the ideas of separation of church and state, um, seeking religious freedom for, for all religions. Um, it's a really, you know, it's, it's interesting to consider, especially given our, our current world that we live in. Yeah, for sure. This is a really good example of one of the things, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but we, we talk about it a lot, but just that's so exciting and interesting about doing these Christians of history episodes is right. learning about people that otherwise would probably, I can't imagine a situation where I would hear the name Thomas Helwes, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's, it's obviously there are some names that do come up all the time, like you said, but um, it's really, it's really cool to get to see more of the world that has gone before that we don't necessarily know about. So thank you for sharing um, I do. Very I do want to. Very interesting it is. life. And it, and especially the inter the intertwining like interlapping of our traditions specifically. But like with King James, 
Like, I almost want to do an episode on King James. I don't know if we call him Christian of history or not. I don't know if he even was a Christian based on the way that he lived much of his life. Um, but because we have a Bible named after him and like so much happened in such a short span surrounding his life that has to do with monumental English reformational things, it might be worth doing because I was just fascinating reading about his interaction, Helwes's interaction with King James. Yeah, there's a lot. He definitely did a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I love how, you know, like, KJV-only people tend to be kind of independent fundamentalist types. Um, but, you know, a bunch of Church of England priests translated the KJV, so there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you for listening and tuning in to this Christians of History episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, uh, please do. Uh, as we have been mentioning, we've got an Instagram live session coming up on the 25th at 7 p.m. Central. And we've also got a giveaway running uh, for the rest of the month of February. Uh, details can be found in our bonus episode from last Wednesday, as well as on our social media feeds. So do check that out, both Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can also shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and especially any ideas for future episodes or future Christians from history to cover on Christians of history. Um, We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we will see you.